This morning, John chapter 20. We read the first 10 verses. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. As far the reading of God's word, let's again bow our heads and ask for God's blessings upon it. Our Father in heaven. This is just a small section of your word, but Lord, it is so full of joy, so full of hope. Lord, you've given this to us. And be with Pastor Bob as he brings out this hope, this joy, this victory of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that our sins are paid, that he has risen, that we may rise. Speak through him, that your spirit will move our hearts, that we may go through this this year, rejoicing in your great work. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I begin with a question that I know will elicit emotion in many of your lives. But I begin with that question in order that you might perhaps hear even more clearly the Lord's message to all of us as believers this morning. My question is this, how many of you have lost a loved one since last April? Just put your hand up, okay? How many of you, okay? For those of you who couldn't see, that's a considerable number. A considerable number of those who are gathered here this morning within the past year, just within the past year. Have lost a loved one. Some relatively recent, within the past week. A number of you could raise your hand because just in this past week or week and a half, you have lost a loved one. Some of you just early Thursday morning lost a loved one, or Friday morning, excuse me, lost a loved one. Death is indeed all around us. We cannot escape it. And yet, the glorious message that we have today is, there is. 
There is an escape from the pain of death. There is an escape from the punishment of that death. There is indeed the possibility of eternal life that your soul might never die. It's the glorious message of the resurrection. We look at this this morning in John chapter 20. And we meet there two disciples. That's who we're going to focus on uh, most this morning. These two disciples, John and Peter. I want you to note, first of all, there are three times when we read about the fact that they saw something. First of all, John arrives at the tomb first and he sees. The Greek word is blepo. It simply means to, uh, to, to take in. It's just the casual seeing. If I told you to, you know, as, as you're driving, you look off to the side and you, you glance at something. You, you catch it, you see it, but you really don't pay any attention to it. It doesn't draw your attention or your focus. It's just that which your eyes perceive. That's what happens to John when he first arrives at the tomb. He just glances. Then we're told that Peter enters the tomb and he saw as well. But that second saw, that second see is to observe. Actually, the The root of the word means to theorize, to contemplate. He sees something and not just glancing at it, but he looks at it and and he begins processing. He begins thinking. He begins wondering, what can all of this mean? What is the possibility that is here? Thirdly, we read that then John enters into the tomb and he sees. And then we're given the comment that he sees and and believes. It's to see with the idea of understanding. It's to see with the idea of perception. It's to see with the idea of understanding and believing that which is before your eyes. I would trust this morning brothers and sisters in Christ, that we are not here just to glance at the resurrection. And that we are not here just to observe and contemplate some interesting things about the resurrection. But that you and I have gathered because with eyes of faith we see and believe. Jesus will say to Thomas, how much more blessed are those who without seeing The actual physical evidence, belief. And yet that which is before us in this passage in John chapter 20 are some physical objects. God has not left the resurrection without physical evidence. God in the word confirms that a thing is established by the mouth of two or three witnesses. This morning we looked at the first of those objects that is a witness of the resurrection, the stone itself, the stone that is moved. That is God's testimony of the resurrection. But this morning, it's two others. First of all, then, as you're taking your sermon notes, perhaps, it's the linen cloths. That stands as God's testimony 
God's not just giving us information to, to just glance over or just to contemplate. He is giving us this so that we too, with eyes of faith, may see and believe. And then secondly, there is the faith cloth, a particular item. So let's delve into that as we look at it this morning. We start then at verse 6, or excuse me, back at verse 4. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping in to look in, he saw, he glanced at the linen claws lying there. Peter enters and went into the tomb. He saw the linen claws. And then John, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, went in and he saw. Saw what? The same thing that Peter did, but he's seeing it. He's seeing it. He's understanding the fact that those linen claws are a testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So first of all, perhaps we have to ask the question, what, are the, what, what linen cloths are we talking about? Well, we're talking about those that Jesus was buried in. Back in chapter 19, we read, starting around verse 38 and then beyond, but particularly verse 40, that as, jo- as Joseph of Arimathea and then also Nicodemus are involved in taking the body of Jesus down and getting it ready and preparing it for its burial. Verse 40, so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. So they're following established practices, and what they're doing is they're taking Jesus' body and wrapping it in these linen cloths. Then they're going to take it to a tomb. They're actually not going to dig a hole in the earth. They're not actually going to dig with shovels down six feet, lower Jesus' body in, and then cover it over. Perhaps many of you as children, when we talk about this resurrection, you're you're thinking about the the present-day custom of burial. The the present day, you go to a cemetery. Perhaps you've been there recently for a grandpa or for a friend. Maybe you went along with mom and dad to one of these funerals. And they got that hole in the ground and they got that cement thing. And they lower the casket down into the ground and then they cover it with earth. That's not what they did with Jesus. That's not the burial custom of Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, you wrap the body with linen. You put it inside of a cave in the earth. So it's still in the earth, but you're not digging it, as it were, into the dirt like we do today. And you simply lay the body on a slab inside of there. Now this didn't happen with Jesus, but the way it would have happened, as is the custom, that body will eventually decay. There will be bones left. At some later date, they go back into those tombs gather the bones and put them into a box. And then if somebody else dies, they bring them in to that same spot, put them on the slab, wait for that body to decay, collect the bones, put them in the box. And they use this over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. 
Not like our custom of today. So our burial customs today really aren't, aren't like what we're experiencing here. That's why that stone in front is so important and the fact that it moved and was moved by decree of sovereign God and by the work of angels so that we might peer in, so that Peter and John might look in, the women would look in, that we might see and believe. It is those linen cloths that we are now talking about in chapter 20. Those very cause that he was buried in. But why linen? Why, why did they use linen for this process? Well, one thing, linen was, was a little more costly. They're putting some expense into this. They're, they're, not, they're treating this body with some dignity. And so they're wrapping it with linen... That's not the only reason. Linen is, a, is, is very white. We might use the word pure. In fact, the, the line that is used here is fine linen. It, it's as if it's been extra treated. It, it, is, it is beautifully, dazzling white in its appearance. Which to the Jewish people, because of the Old Testament, because of what God talks about in regards to the priest stands for purity, stands for holiness. And certainly, the body of our Lord and Savior deserves to be wrapped then in linen. But it also was a vestment of the priest. It was a reminder of the sacrifices. It was a reminder of that which the sacrifices did. And so all of that is, is kind of thrown into this, this picture. It, it wasn't just linen because it was something available. They chose it. They chose it especially for a purpose. And, and so we read 19 verse 40. They put him in this linen clause. They chapter 20, three times or two times it's observed. That's what they see. But what actually, when they enter the tomb, actually is it that they see there? When John writes, he saw and believed, what did he actually see? Well, we see linen claws, but notice the line. He, they see them lying there. Lying there. Now, for us, that, that word kind of just is sort of generic. They're, they're just there. But the word actually has a little bit more oomph to it. The, the word that's used here has more to be the idea that they are set. That they are placed. If you go back to Luke chapter 2. Right? Just keep your finger here with me. Go back to Luke chapter 2. Verse 12, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. Now the same word is used there. So when you hear the word 
he's lying in a manger. Do you think Mary just took Jesus, throws him into the manger? It's just sort of a, well, yeah, I'll just put him in there any old way, no matter what. Ever watch a mother with a newborn? Huh? As she very carefully, gently places him in that bassinet, just setting him or her exactly in the right position. It's not haphazard. See, that's the point of the linen cloths lying. They're not haphazard. They're not strewn about. There's an order to this. There is a precision to this. There is a care that is taken in how those claws are lying there. They're not all over the place. Look also back from Luke 2 there. Go back to Matthew chapter 28. We have the word of the angel to the women saying to him in the announcing of the resurrection, 28 verse 6, He is not here, for he has risen as he said, Come see the place where he lay. So the same idea there. So understand, we have Joseph of Arimathea, we have Nicodemus wrapping Jesus' body in these linen cloths with all of the spices, and then they take Jesus' body to this cave, and, and they come to the ledge, and what do they do? Well, they just throw Jesus' body in. They just let it go. Of course not. They lay him. They take him, and they set him on that ledge as he is to be set properly in, in, in it. In the spot, orderly. Everything is neat. Everything is tidy. When John and Peter enter that tomb, Peter observes, hmm, pretty interesting. The linen claws are orderly. They're neat. They're lying there. Not strewn about. When John sees it, John immediately believes. Believes what? Well, that which they previously did not understand. That which they previously had heard from Jesus, he'll be crucified and in the third day rise, and it's in one ear, one out the other. When John sees those claws lying there in the way in which they are, he understands this as a witness of God. As a testimony. And those claws are speaking and they're saying, He is not here, He is risen. Because you see, there is no body. There is no body. Well, why not conclude that the body had been taken? Well, if the bandages are there, or if the wrapping is there, if the claws are there, how are the claws in an orderly fashion when there is no body inside of them? Anybody who is just going to take the body is going to have to unwrap the linens, 
unwrap the spices. Things are, are going to be strewn about. They're going to be everywhere. How did they get it all back together? This is not the evidence of a theft. This is the evidence of a resurrection. Nor is this the evidence of a resuscitation. If Jesus were just swooning, if Jesus had just been in a coma, how did he get out of those clothes Even though those claws are orderly, set, the spices are still there. How, how did that happen? How did he get out of them? Remember the resurrection of Lazarus that precedes this? Remember Lazarus has died, Jesus goes there and, and they're like... Uh, Jesus says, well, take me to the tomb. And then he says, take the, the stone away, open up the tomb. And people are like, I'm not sure you want to do this, Jesus. You know, this is the fourth day. He's beginning to stink. And then Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Do you remember how Lazarus came forth? He still had the linens on. And he still had the face cloth. Lazarus doesn't somehow just come out of those bandages, those claws. But Jesus did. Because you see, Lazarus' resurrection was the resurrection of a physical body only. Jesus' resurrection is the resurrection of a glorious body. Something has changed. John sees that and believes. Is there another reason those linen claws are there? Not only the testimony in, in that regard, that they're not strewn about, not, not somebody has come and stolen just the body. Imagine that one, right? They stole just the body, left the wrappings. Right. Who, who would there have been who would have wanted to take Jesus out of the wrappings, take just his body, but even in that process you, you would have to unwrap it. But they're there. Is there another message? Yeah, they're no longer needed. Why do you need the linen shroud? Why do you need these claws when you're not dead? You only put these linen shrouds with all of these spices for a dead body. That is the custom. That's what we read in John 19. That's the custom. It's the custom for what? When you have a dead body. But we don't have a dead body. There is no body Therefore, the linen claws are just lying there, not strewn about, but orderly. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. What did he see? Linen 
claws. But they also saw a face cloth. This too was part of the, the custom. John eleven forty four. we have the same thing said in regards to, to Lazarus. That, that this linen, apparently, that, that they wrapped them in, these claws, only went up to, to about here. And then over the face and head, they put a separate cloth. Now, there's, there's all sorts of reasons. As you, you can read about different explanations. Why did they do that and so on? Well, one theory is that they did it because they, they wanted this perhaps lighter cloth there so that if perhaps the body were not dead for whatever reason, they would eventually begin to see the movement of that cloth as the, the person would begin to breathe. And so it's sort of like the, the final marker, the final marker that you do. you got the body already. Let's put this on and let's observe for a bit. Do we see any breath of air? No, no. He's dead. He's dead. That's it. And so this, this face cloth, which was part of their custom, a handkerchief, uh, a napkin. But it actually has to do with, the, the root word has to do with sweat. It's like, it, it's like the cloth you would use to wipe sweat from off your forehead or from off your face. They see this. What do they note about it? Okay. Verse 7, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. So as they observe these linen cloths in which his body was, the question is, but what about the face cloth? And they see... On different levels, right? First, just a glance. Doesn't really mean much. Peter is wondering, theorizing about this. But John is seeing this, that this face cloth is off on its own. It's separate from. And he sees this, and he believes. It's not by the other. by itself. See, and while Peter is theorizing, why might this be? John is seeing this as evidence of a resurrection. The evidence of a fact that, that somebody, someone, took time to set this thing that was the mark and the sign, the final sign of death. And to do something unique with it. Not to put it by the clothes. You see what's going on by God? You see what God is doing? This final piece, this final object, which is the sign of death is not even by the grave clothes. It 
It's not even by these claws. It's not even included with the others. It's off by itself, in its own place. It is separate. And what about its separation? But folded up. It's not either just lying there. There is even more care. There is even more of a statement being made here. word here means to be wrapped up. I'm not sure it means to be folded like we would think perhaps of a, fold, of a handkerchief or uh, uh, a napkin, although some of you, okay, some of you in your homes, right, when you have special dinners, you take napkins and you wrap them around the silverware. That's the word that's kind of used here, that idea of it's wrapped up, it's rolled together. body's not stolen. The body's not taken. The body's not missing. John sees and believes. He is raised from the dead. Why, in regards to this folded napkin, once again, there isn't, see, oftentimes when we read this, this resurrection story, from the human point of view, there is chaos. This thing is chaotic. We can't even figure out when you put the four Gospels together, who's there first, when they're there, how long they're there, who Jesus is talking to, when Jesus is talking to them. We have soldiers there, they're falling down like dead men, yet we have other passages that say they got up, went back into town. There's all sorts of confusion going on. There are angels. One, two. People running back and forth to this tomb from our side, from a human side. This is chaos. Everything's out of sorts. Everything is in confusion. But what's the message of the tomb? What's the message of the evidence that God leaves? What's the message of the resurrection? There is orderliness. There is calm. There is peace. There's not franticness. There's not a Jesus on the inside. Somebody like, angels, hurry up, let me out of here. All his grave clothes are all disheveled and everything else and napkins strewn here. There's, there's not a Jesus on the inside of this stone in this cave who's somehow frantic as the people are on the outside. There is peace. There is calm. There is victory. There's life. There's hope. There's assurance. It's the same message, you see, when, when Paul addresses the resurrection. 
and the effects of the resurrection speaks of the fast of the fact that everything in its order everything in its time everything under god's sovereign control god is not frantic today god is orderly this morning God is not disturbed by all that is going on. God is calm. For those of you who moments ago raised your hand, perhaps for this past year or certainly in the moments and days and perhaps weeks after the passing of your loved one, now what? Who do I call? What do I do? What, do? what do I do next? What am I supposed to do? How, you know, for those of you who lost a loved one and you're just going to the funeral home to visit, it's like, so now what do I say? What do I do? How do I act? Folks, the message of the resurrection is this. We don't need to be frantic. The resurrection's message is one of order. The one of God's sovereign control. The one of peace. And Paul, so Paul speaks. What happens? What happens? Well, our loved ones die and go to be with the Lord. And we take care of the body. We deal with the body. Looking forward, because God is orderly, to the time when Christ appears. And when Christ comes again, then everything is not going to be chaos. It's going to be orderly. It's going to be like this resurrection. Christ, who Paul says, is the first fruits. In other words, Christ's resurrection is that which is like our resurrection. It, it's not chaotic. You know, we may think of the coming of the Lord Jesus again. As being this, oh man, everything's going on, what's going on? Well, yeah, the unbeliever, the unbeliever just like out of death is frantic, out of control, doesn't know what to do. When Christ, who is the first fruits, occurs, what do they do? They run to the hills, fall on us. What are the believers doing? Ah, finally. Orderly. And then what happens, Paul says? Our bodies are changed. How? Changed like unto Christ's glorious body. No more those physical limitations. That's why his body could physically rise from the dead, yet not be there in those cloths. Why? Because his physical body is now also a spiritual body, a glorified body. And that's what you and I shall have when Christ returns. He's our first fruit. But you see, it's orderly. Look, here, here's the order. What about those of us who are alive? We shall be changed too in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Oh, that's going to be chaotic. No, it's orderly. God is in control. God is in charge. God is the king. 
That's the message of the resurrection. That's the message of why God orders a stone rolled so that Peter and John could look, glance, so that Peter and John could theorize. No. So that they, like we, can see and believe and have assurance and have hope and have peace in the midst of all of the uncertainties of the world outside. Look in the tomb. Look into the kingdom of Jesus Christ and you see That's why the first greeting that Jesus gives to his disciples is peace. For all the chaos of the cross and the trials, the resurrection, you see, brings them peace. And as you leave this day, that resurrected Christ that spoke to those disciples on the evening of that resurrection, that Christ who spoke to the women, that Christ who spoke to Mary Magdalene, that Christ who appeared to Peter, that Christ who appeared to some 500 eyewitnesses, that same Christ sends you on your way. Peace. Peace. I got this. I won. I'm in control. Let's sing then to the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by turning in our hymn books to number 369. 369. Standing to sing.
for all of us as believers in Jesus Christ. Our best days are yet to come. Our best days are yet to come because of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior.